So the reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 17, the first five verses. It's on page 1085, 1085 in your Bibles. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And this is the word of the Lord. Amazing. Hello, I'm Jack. If you don't know me, I'm on the staff team here at Christchurch. And it is amazing to be with you. So as um, Simon said, it's not Simon says, that's a different thing. As Simon said, um, we're starting this, oh, hands on my head, yeah, touch the toes. Um, we're starting this new sermon series called Jesus at Prayer. I'd love um, my slides to come up if possible. Um, and actually, it's a great springboard from what Bishop Zach said last week. Last week, um, we, in the 6 p.m., didn't um, do the last part of the Being the Church series. If you do want to catch up with that, George's um, preaches from the morning um, on greeting one another with a holy kiss. Probably not all right at the moment, but it's fine. You can listen to that online. It is all available there. But we're springboarding into this new series, all based around John 17, this high priestly prayer that Jesus prays. People refer to it as the high priestly prayer because it it mimics the same structure as the prayer that the high priest would have prayed before the Day of Atonement. Before the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would pray for himself, he would pray for his priests, and he would pray for the people. And in the same way, Jesus, in this prayer, before the day of his death, comes before the Father, but also before his disciples, Prays for himself, glorify your son. That's what we're going to be looking at it this evening. He prays that he would be glorified, but he then prays for his disciples that they would be sanctified, that they would be protected from evil. And he prays for all the people that they would be unified. So that's the journey we're going on um, for the next few weeks. Let me pray now before we um, delve into this beautiful passage. Father God, I thank you um, that we have this prayer that we can read this prayer, this beautiful prayer. I just pray now that as we explore it further, would we know more of you through it? Amen. Great. You might be able to tell I trained as a primary school teacher. Um, and I know, thanks. Um, and basically, I thought we should start with a little bit of grammar. Is that all all right? nice, isn't it? Um, So, turn to the person next to you. Can you think of a word that can be used in three different sentences, once as a noun, once as an adjective, and once as a verb? One word, 
but can be used in all three types. There are quite a lot of them. I hope you can think of some. It's mean, isn't it? Has anybody got anything? Hands up if anybody's got anything. Sue Collinson, come on, come on. We need to give her the biggest round of applause if she's got one. Wait. Oh, they have two, okay, go on. And you didn't Google anything. So mine was present and Lisa's was light. Present and light. Can we have a big round of applause? They are both. Can be used as noun adjectives and verbs. Light is actually my favorite one. That was, there were quite a lot on the internet. I did cheat, I'm really sorry. Um, but that was my favorite one. It feels like the most holy of them. Um, I'm gonna park that for a bit. We'll come back to it later. Um, this prayer is a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. It's rich in intimacy. It's rich in this relationship between Jesus and the Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. If you look through the whole thing, it's all about the Father and the Son. You, your, it's all rich in relationship. And it's this relationship that was established before the world began. This glory that Jesus had with the Father before the world began. If you're writing notes, my first point is this, is that Jesus' glory leads to life. Now, Charlotte, before you get annoyed at me, there was an apostrophe there, and for some reason it's disappeared. So I, know, I knew you were going to pull a face at me, but it was there, and it should come in later on. And if it's not there, I even changed the font. This is a demo font. It didn't have an apostrophe in it. Jesus' glory leads to life. His preeminent glory that he had with the Father leads to his life on earth. John loves the word glory. Um, a third of the words, a third of the mentions of the word glory are found in John's writing. It, it, it stinks of the bit at the beginning of John where it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. It's the glory that was there before anything, this relationship between the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And I, and I love this passage, it's one of my favourite passages, I always geek out over this passage. Because this is such an invitation to us. In the beginning was this Word, this message, the message was with God, the message was God. In the beginning was this invitation from the Father. If it's helpful, you can think of the Father as the noun, the thing, the stuff, the it, the object, the proper noun. In the beginning was God. And this God loves us, and he invites us to love him in response. And this invitation comes in the form of Jesus. He invites us into this relationship that we see in John 17. My favorite interpretation um, of, of, of the word is a bit of an etymological bounce back. It's just fun to say etymological bounce back. Um, the, the Greek word for word is logos. Can we all say logos? Now can we all say it like we want to say it? And now can we all say it like Gandalf is talking to an elf? We say logos. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? Um, this word logos means reason or plan. Um, but when I look at that word, I don't see the word logos. Can anybody shout out what word I see? Logos. Oh, the students have heard me talk about this before. I'm really sorry, guys. Um, you can tell I'm a bit of a graphic design nerd. I love, I love making things pretty. This is Brandon Grotesque Thin. The one before was Chasing Embers demo version. I love a good font. Um, but the reason that I love 
the idea of Jesus as the logo isn't because of that. It's, it, it's because it so beautifully represents him. In the beginning was the logo. What is a logo? It's, it's something huge and incomprehensible, massive, shrunk down into something beautifully designed, beautifully crafted, a representation. You know, a child sees the Paw Patrol logo and they just go mad, don't they? Like they think about their favourite character, their least favourite character, the, the episode they watched the other day, the toys they have, the toys they want, the processing power that a logo pushes. You know, some of us see a yellow ma. Oh, thanks. You know, you think, you see a yellow ma, and, and you don't have to think about all the background stuff, about the fact that it's a, you know, McDonald's is a global franchise, or the menu, or what you had when you were there as a kid, or the smell of it, or the thought of it. You just think, I really want a chicken legend with cool mayo. Like, the processing power that a logo holds is huge. In the beginning was the logo, and the logo was with God, and the logo was God. This huge, massive, incomprehensible glory Represented in this tiny baby, representing the whole of God and the whole of humanity. In the beginning was this logo. If it's helpful, you can think of Jesus as the adjective, the way by which we understand, the way by which we describe. He comes to us out of love. And he invites us into this relationship, this relationship that we're exploring in John 17. Um, and if you're taking notes, my second point is this. Sorry about the apostrophe, Charlotte. Jesus' life leads to glory. Jesus has this preeminent glory with the Father and out of love comes to us, to the world. This prayer is a timely prayer. It, it says, Father, the hour has come. In the whole of John's gospel, he's been saying, my hour has not yet come. And he walks over to Capernaum and he goes over here and someone says something and says, sorry, my hour has not yet come. I wish I could use that excuse. If a student asks me for coffee and I say, sorry, my hour has not yet come. Like, it's great. It's really tactical from Jesus. But it's like the whole of the gospel is waiting for this moment. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Um, Tom, who's over there, one of our students, I remember maybe even two years ago, which is horrendous, um, once did a, an impression of a traffic light in the pub after church in which he would stand there and he'd go, stop, wait, 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 go, stop, wait, 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 go, stop, wait, wait. <laughs> And this is what we see here, this idea that the whole of the gospel is saying, stop, wait, wait, not yet, not yet. You know, if you think of that countdown clock on the telly, it's like we've got to this point and suddenly we're here. The hour has come. We're there. The whole of Jesus' life is leading to this point. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus his, the glory of the Father is hidden for all of his life, maybe by the transfiguration. But the whole of his life has glorified God. The whole of his life has pointed to God. And what is the glory that he leads to? It's the cross. It's not what you think about when you think glory. It's not strength or power or might. It's humiliation. It's torture, it's nakedness, it's nails in wrists, it's horrendous. 
when you say Jesus' life leads to glory and that glory is the cross, you don't think, yeah, defo. In 1 Corinthians it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who don't know him, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Jesus' life leads to this glory where he surrenders all. God surrenders himself and he invites us to surrender to him in response. There's this beautiful quote by Jefferson Becker, who is um, an author, and he does lots of stuff on YouTube for young people, for Christians, and articles and stuff. Um, And he says this. It might be a bit small, but it's fine, because I'm going to read it out. It says this. Everything asks for your life, for your all. For every last drop of your allegiance, power does, sexual fulfillment does, athletics do, your significant other does, your job does. Jesus isn't unique in that way. But he is unique in that he gave up everything first. All those other things use fear and false promises and force us to get what they want. Jesus is the only one who lays his life down for you first before he asks you for yours. Jesus is the only one who lays his life down for you first before he asks for yours. Do we love him? Have we surrendered all? to him. So Jesus' life leads to glory on the cross, but that glory leads to life for us. That glory on the cross leads to a way made, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says it in this this little passage, for you granted authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And he then, even more helpfully, goes on to define what he means. He doesn't leave us to guess what that might mean. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is about knowing him. It's not about quantity of life, which is what people seem to think Christianity is about. Like we live our lives, we die, and then we get forever, and that's why we do it. No, it's about quality of life. It's about knowing him. It's about life to the full. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's always great. But it does mean that we know him. And similarly, it's not just about knowing about him. I know about Mary Berry. She probably makes a mean profiterole, but I've never met her. It's not about knowing about him. It's about knowing him and knowing him properly. In Jeremiah, it says, No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know thee. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. When our wickedness is forgiven and our sins are forgotten, a way is made for us to know Jesus The implications of this high priestly prayer are massive because the day after the high priest would go and make the sacrifice of atonement. And in this case, Jesus does the same, but he's not only the priest, he is the sacrifice. And in that sacrifice, he makes a way for us to know him through his spirit. I remember on one Pathfinder weekend away, the speaker got one of the Pathfinders to run from one side of the room with a baton to the middle, and another Pathfinder took it and ran the rest of the way. The baton is passed on from Jesus to the Spirit. 
In John 7, it says, up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This glory on the cross leads to life for us through the Spirit. And if it's helpful, you can think of the Spirit as the verb, the doer, the comforter, the healer, the helper, the advocate, the one who is here now and knows us and invites us to know him as a response. The word glory in the Old Testament was often used to describe presence or intimacy. If you think in Exodus, the glory of the Lord would descend on the tent of meeting or later on in the tabernacle or the temple. This is all about intimacy with God, invited into that love of the Trinity, that dance with the Trinity. These three in relationship who invite us to join in by knowing them, by knowing him, that word know there, last bit of grammar for you, is in the present, subjunct- present subjunctive te- tense. Don't worry, neither do I. Um, but basically, it means continuous. It's a continuous growing experience of Jesus, of the Father, of the Spirit. It's knowing, truly knowing. And so Jesus says, glory leads to life. His glory before the world began, where he was God the Father coming as Christ the Son. This logo, this way we can describe God, this invitation of love. He loves us and wants us to love him in response. That his life on earth leads to his glorification on the cross, where he surrenders all and invites us to surrender all in response. But that glorification on the cross makes a way for us the curtain torn in two, we receive the Spirit and he invites us to know him because he knows us already. At the student weekend away, we looked loads at Psalm 139, search my heart, test me. He knows us already, but he invites us intentionally to love him, to surrender all to him and to know him. Father God, I thank you that you are a God in relationship, but not only that, you invite us into relationship with you. Father, I just pray now that we could love you more dearly, that we could surrender to you completely, that we could know you more intensely and more tangibly than we do already. Amen.